Welcome to the Grindstaff Publishing Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Grindstaff. Chasing the Kingfish, Part 1, Farm Built. Chapter 1, In the Shadow of Mountains. In June of 2010, I walked onto a small farm situated in the shadow of the Wallowa Mountains in far eastern Oregon, with a small backpack full of work clothes and a stack of books. I had just made the seven-hour drive from Cascadia University in Western Oregon, which I had been attending for the last three years, and was ready to begin another summer, giving my brain a rest and working the cobwebs off of my scrawny arms. Going to college for eight months and spending the four summer months on a farm had been something I had been doing since my high school graduation. I was lucky and had landed a job with a respectable farming family a few miles outside of my hometown who owned 5,000 acres of wheat farmland and a few hundred head of cattle. Growing up, I was far removed from any kind of farming scene, definitely leaning toward nerdy pursuits like reading, writing, and a deep affinity for 1950s science fiction films. Despite this, the farming family took a chance on my scrawny self and began teaching me all about hard work, how to fix things, and the workings of life on a farm. The first summer, 2007, was immensely important to forming who I would be as time went on, but split my brain completely in two when it came time to begin college in the fall. One day I was covered in dirt, wearing a greasy ball cap, and the next I was showered, sitting in a clean classroom being lectured at by a professor. It was a complete shock to the system, but I took quickly to the rigors of college and it was nice to use a completely different part of my brain. The cycle continued with the wheat farming family for the next two summers. By the time it was May, I would start dreaming of those long days driving a tractor in an immense field of soil having 12 long hours all to myself. I treasured those hours bumping along with only the rolling hills of soon-to-be-planted soil to busy my tiring eyes. I would get lost in the vastness of it all, thinking about what life meant, where I would fit into the world when I graduated, and what kind of impact I would make. June would hit and the college shirts and late nights of college were gladly traded for the dirt and grime, tractors and wheat, grease and gears. The second to last week of July was when farming life ramped up. Large combines were driven out of their slumber and freshly tweaked tractors hooked onto myriad implements already for the wheat harvest. In a mad dash over the course of about four weeks, our farming team spent 14 to 16 hours days capturing every last grain of wheat the land had to offer. Hot, long, grueling hours were spent running back and forth on all kinds of terrain, systematically mowing down the glorious bearded stalks of wheat which seemed to stretch endless over rolling hills. The beauty was immense, the sunsets were stunning in a way made it more exuberant by the exhaustion we all felt. It was wheat harvest which made me feel like I was doing something important, experiencing something that no college professor could ever teach me. There were times sitting in those sweaty trucks, or waiting in a tractor, or laying in the dirt beneath a running tractor trying to diagnose a problem where college couldn't have been further away. Those times, as long as they were in real time, could never last. The acres of wheat would get reduced to hills of bronze stubble as the middle of August came crashing upon us. The machines would receive their maintenance and get tucked back into the dark caverns that would be their home until the next frenzy began. Summer would turn to fall, and the dirty t-shirts would give way to hoodies and thick jackets. September would come in my brain like some kind of hibernating vermin, would feel the change and start yearning for books and coffee-fueled study sessions and talking about philosophy no one had answers to. Late September found its way to my doorstep. I would say my goodbyes to the farming family and drive the many hours across Oregon from the rural, sparsely populated east into the lush Willamette Valley of big cities in my university. With the strange feeling of being in both worlds, the first day of classes found me wearing my work boots to class, 
or having a tinge of contempt for the kids which spent their summers in laboratories or in internships. Had they learned more than I had? Was their time spent more wisely than mine had been? Those feelings soon went away and my body became resigned to its school time dormancy while my brain enjoyed its ravenous feeding of college. The spring of 2010 took a drastic change from the previous three years. Instead of going back to my hometown and farming with the same people who had taught me so much, I was told I'd be farming with someone new on a plot two hours east of where I had grown up. At first I was shocked, but after a day the idea of something new with a tinge of old became appealing and my adventurous side came roaring up. I called the owner of the new farm, a 29-year-old named Coulter, and we agreed on the formalities of when I would arrive and what I would do. Before ending the call, he also offered to provide me with room and board, a proposition I all too eagerly accepted. With a smile, I agreed and we hung up. I sat on my dorm room bed and thought about how odd the whole thing was. A week earlier, I had been set, excited, on spending my summer the way I had for years and in a matter of minutes I found myself preparing to live with the family of strangers while working on their farm like some kind of Dust Bowl era farm boy of old. Adventure never offers an easy path. The next day I loaded my car with the entirety of my dorm in the trunk, books in the back seat and some unfinished research papers in the passenger seat, and set off driving the seven hours to far eastern Oregon. The drive from east to west was always incredible. It was a drive I had been doing since I was in middle school for sports, school activities, and family trips. As an adult, driving the gorgeous length is something altogether different. The west is busy, especially for Oregon standards, as my small college town of Roosevelt runs into Salem, which gives way to Portland. Once a car turns and starts heading east of the Columbia River Gorge, a miles-long, glacier-etched byway, the scenery changes drastically. The west is lush, green, pine tree covered with large pockets of water. As west turns to east, that tall green habitat gives way to yellow sagebrush and a rock rolling endless. The population drops dramatically and the nature becomes immense. Columnar rock faces and tall wind turbines mix with a seemingly endless gorge stretching into a hazy distance. Eventually the road goes so far east that a person hits dense forests and the Blue Mountain Range climbing in elevation and finally lands in the Malau Mountain Range, home to Coulter and his family and the home I would be sharing for the next four months. Like journeying back to a time long ago, Coulter's farm was situated at the base of the Wallau Mountains looming large and menacing behind green fields of alfalfa and thick timber. I pulled up and had to take a few seconds for my mind to catch up with where I was and what I was embarking on. Before I had enough time to gather myself, Coulter came out of the house holding his one-year-old infant and a five-year-old boy trailing behind them in cowboy boots. With a smile about as wide as the Columbia Gorge I had recently driven through, we shook hands, introduced me to his two boys, and took me inside their manufactured home to meet his wife. The next hour was spent with the five of us learning about each other's background, eating an amazing lunch Coulter's wife had made up for us, and discussing the work which would start early the next morning. I was shown to my room, told some basic ground rules, and was left to explore their farm in the small town nearby. Over the next four months, I learned more than I thought ever possible about the inner workings of an irrigation farm and cattle ranching. Mornings would start at 4.30, by sliding out of bed, dressing quickly, then heading out into the cold dark of morning, dew heavy on the green alfalfa. We would haul pipe from early in the morning until around 10 mid-morning. The pipe, heavy aluminum sections about 20 feet long and 3 inches wide, would get turned off at its water source and we would walk those 20-foot sections a certain distance, which we measured in paces, drop it, and go back to pick the next one up. Is a tedious, cold, wet task with its only saving feature being the mountains looming so near us. Shivering from the chill dampness, I would look out at those mountains and dream of climbing them, imagining myself in a place surrounded by mountains of that immensity, 
getting lost in the areas few men had ever been. The final pipe would click home and I would be brought back to reality and we would trudge back to the house to get warm, drink coffee, talk about the news, and have our mid-morning meal wonderfully provided by Coulter's wife. Besides hauling pipe, we would tend to the cattle, give them shots, feed the babies, move them from timber-laden enclosures to open pastures, all while watching for the ever-elusive rattlesnake or ill-tempered steer's hoofs, and trying to avoid the heat of summer. I ran tractors, worked the alfalfa harvest, read books about young protagonists trying to find themselves in strange lands, and explored the Wallowa Mountains which so filled my imagination and got me through the cold mornings. At night, the family would relax in the TV room and watch shows about men catching king crab in the Bering Sea of Alaska. The work was beyond dangerous, backbreaking, but alluring in a way few people could explain. Coulter and I would talk about how we could do that job. We could make it in the Bering Sea. I would watch the waves rock the large ships as Coulter would explain how he would go up to Alaska to fish those seas if he didn't have his young family. The look of anguish on the faces of the men ignited something in me which couldn't be suppressed. I just didn't know what it was. One of the stranger parts of working on the alfalfa farm was a schedule of 14 days on and 4 days off. The two weeks straight was difficult and frustrating, but once the end of the shift was near, my mind raced with all the free time and the endless opportunities which I was surrounded by. I had recently turned 21 in the early summer of 2010, and all my friends lived only two hours away, so the majority of my weekends were spent with them. At the end of one particularly hard week, Coulter and I were watching the Alaskan crabbing show on the fishing boats of Newport, Oregon flash into my mind. I decided to make the journey from one side of the state to the other without any further plans. I didn't think about where I would stay, how far the drive was, or how much the excursion would cost. None of that mattered. I had to see those boats. I had to leave the dry fields of the east and see the ocean rolling vast in the west. The morning came early and I raced back through the timber, across the desolate rolling hills, along the gorge, past through the Willamette Valley, and found myself on the docks of Newport looking at the fishing boats out past the Gothic Bridge into the Pacific Ocean. Everything rushed towards me in a wave. The freedom of the water, the closeness of a life I never given thought to, a wonder and adventure the life of a fisherman could bring. I walked around the docks looking at the boats, the gear, the poles, the men strutting around with their brown rubber boots and sweatshirts and bright orange coveralls. Something about it was sucking me in. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to ask one of the older men fixing odds and ends on the boat if they needed someone to help them fish. I wanted off that dock and to be steaming out past the bar and into those crashing waves. I ate dinner in a restaurant across the street from the fish processing plant and found myself enjoying the smells wafting over. There is no plan for the evening, no plan on where I would stay. When watching the crabbing show, there is only an intense urge to see boats similar to theirs to experience a piece of life like the fishermen. Without another plan, I decided to drive up Highway 101, hugging the ocean and just think. Along the way, I called my dad and we started talking about where I was and how I had a crazy idea to try to fish in Alaska the following summer. Without hesitation, he told me to do it. Be safe and mindful of how dangerous it was. But if it was something I wanted to do, I should find a way to get on a boat. I hung up with my mind alight and racing. Just like that, there's an actual possibility of me getting on a boat, doing something I never thought possible. Just as quickly as my mind began racing, I'd hit a wall. There is no one in my life who knew anything about being a fisherman. There is no way to even begin asking anyone to get on a boat. That strange trip to the Pacific Ocean was just that, a vacation to only peek into the lives of people I'd only caught a glimpse of on a television show. As quickly as a wall had hit my maniacal idea of Alaskan fishing, one of the owners of the wheat farm from my hometown called and wanted me to spend a couple of days on their farm during wheat harvest. 
As quickly as the wallet hit my maniacal idea of Alaskan fishing, one of the owners of the wheat farm from my hometown called and wanted me to spend a couple of days on their farm during wheat harvest. With a smile, I drove the seven hours back from the coast to my mother's house, and at five the following morning I was on a tractor in a 500-acre wheat field, so far away from the ocean and the fishing boats which bob on top of her majestic waves. Coulter and his wife were beyond kind to me and made me feel so welcome in their home. I spent the evenings reading in my small bedroom, looking out of the window at the Willow Mountains, dreaming of climbing and hiking and camping. I drank cheap beer and played pool with truckers and loggers and adventurers, searching for their next high at the local bar. I soaked in that last bit of summer and was deeply saddened when that familiar toll of the fall college bells made my ears perk, and the hunger in my brain began to rumble. I loaded my car with what I had brought, said goodbye to the farm, the family, and the mountains which kept me inspired. The drive back to the western side of the state was one of finality, but somewhere deep in my soul was a hunger for something radically different that I could have ever thought possible. End of chapter.